we serve a big God. And again, one of the reasons we do it is when, when we live in a small world, our problems become big. But when we live in a big world, our problems find their rightful place. And our God is big. And so uh, we honestly are delighted to have you with us. Uh, in, I don't know, 10 minutes, you've strengthened, encouraged us. Uh, we got a little surprise a bit later. So uh, you've got something to look forward to after my message. But uh, gifts that God has for His church around the world. And uh, He partners us together. And we meet a Frenchman and a South African meet in New York at a conference of 3,000 people, and yet we find ourselves standing around just the two of us at a coffee table and trying to have a conversation in, in a foreign language, and we stumble our way through, and five years later, a gospel is presented from this stage. And this is what God does, and this is what we want to look for uh, in our day. So we heard some tragic news uh, this past week for some of us who are frequenters of Mayfair Cafe. Uh, Lorato, who is one of the, uh, the waitrons there, uh, lost two of her sisters in the flood. And a third is missing still. John and I have the privilege of interacting with her every second day. My brother-in-law, Jackie's brother, lost half of his equipment for his business in the flood, so cannot operate. I know you have stories, family members. And somehow in this time of the last two years, it kind of feels like we're getting a bit tired of hearing of these storms. We get a bit tired of hearing of messages of how we can cope in these storms. And yet for some of us sitting here today, it's the very real thing that we're dealing with. And so today I do want to speak. I feel like God's given me a, an encouraging word through a, a, an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples around how to go through a storm. And I want you to listen through this lens. If you are in a storm yourself, I trust the words would be encouraging. But if you are not, you know people that are. And you can help. And so I, I don't want you to be tired listening to a, this message. I believe that the Spirit of God, Matthew and I did not talk about what I was speaking on, but for him to even choose that text of all who are burdened, come to me. All who are burdened. The reality is Durban right now, KZN right now is burdened. We're burdened. And we don't have the option of checking out. Because we are human and we are we, we have relationships and we have people. And so if you check out, there are other people that are going to be concerned for you. And if you're involved, then you want to be helpful for those that you are helping. And so today, I just want us to go through, uh, just go through a couple of elements of, of this interaction that Jesus has. Because um, I think like all of us, uh, some of you may be thinking, yeah, 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 Jesus on the, on, the, on the boat with the disciples and there's a storm and the, the disciples wake him up. That's not the text today. As much as I have prayed, as you have prayed, that Jesus would wake up and, st and stop the storm, he hasn't done that. I still trust that he will do it, but it hasn't been done. And so what can we learn from Jesus? Well, there's another account where he himself is under 
deep pressure, anxious beyond measure. And he calls his disciples and he says, I am, I am burdened in my heart. Jesus says, I am burdened. Jesus says, I am anxious. Jesus says, I am troubled. Fully God, fully man, experiences this. And he says to his disciples, will you come with me and will you come and pray with me because I am deeply troubled. And so we're going to read this encounter that, uh, that Jesus has with his disciples, with his Father in heaven, a couple of things, and uh, I'm just going to present them to you uh, for us, that we can take hold of some of these things of how can we go through a storm when Jesus doesn't choose to stop the storm. Because Jesus also went through one himself. And so we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 28, verses 36 to 46, it says this, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I kind of think that that feels like us today, many of us. There are people that are asking so much of us, demanding so much of us. It feels like they're asking us to go an extra five meters, an extra ten meters, and many of us are going, we just don't have it in us. Maybe you are in that place of great sorrow and trouble, and you're just asking your friends, can you come with me just a little bit further? And your friends are bailing on you. The story goes on. Going a little farther, or further, he fell and to, with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It's almost like Jesus is trying to convince himself, build up that courage. Like, you, you haven't calmed the storm yet. You haven't taken this away from me. Let me keep talking myself into courageous action so that your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Who's identifying with this? So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And so Jesus had this particular trouble, the betrayer, the cross before him. Uh, and those of us that would know the biblical accounts in the story would, would know something of the, the pressure that he was feeling in that moment. Uh, one of the accounts even says uh, that his sweat came out as blood, which I believe is a medical condition for anxiety and, pre and, and pressure under extreme, extreme circumstances. I'll leave the medics to explain that. But we have this encounter where Jesus is desperate for the storm that he's in to stop. 
And I can picture in his own mind saying, Hey, Father, when we were in a storm in a boat with the disciples, they woke me up and I was able to speak to the storm and it stopped. And now I'm in my own storm and you're not stopping it. But I will get through it. And we know the outcome. We know that he gets through it. And so a couple of things for us today to strengthen ourselves in a day of trouble, in this day of trouble, and to help those who are in their day of trouble. Number one, number one, friends. Friends. Jesus went with his disciples. So he had a group of 12 people with him, or or at least 12. Maybe there were a few more that were there amongst his disciples. And then he went just a little bit further, and he had two of his closest friends with him. And with his two closest friends, he says, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. I am troubled. I am sorrowful. Jesus had friends in his great moment of trouble that he could call upon, that he could entrust himself to. This one who was the Messiah, this one who was the Christ, this one who was uh, about to pay the price that was going to free all of humanity. Uh, so often I think we can find ourselves, we're, we're a business leader or we're a pastor or we're a life group leader or we, for whatever reason, we think that we, are, we should be the ones helping others and therefore we're not able to be vulnerable with others. We're not able to say, actually, I'm troubled. I am deeply sorrowful. I am anxious to the point of death. But Jesus felt quite comfortable to do that. The God-man, the Savior, the one who was going to overcome death in just a few days is the one who was able to go to his two friends and say, please, help me. Help me. Unfortunately, what we see today is the continued isolation of society. We come here on a Sunday. How many people do we really know? How many people would we be able to say, will you come with me because I'm deeply troubled? How many people do you know that you can start to offload and say, will you come and keep watch with me for just one hour and pray with me? How many people sit into that category? Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, it's not good for man to be alone. Many of you will know this story, but I cannot find, for me personally, a more apt example. A couple of years ago, we were troubled, Jackie and I. We were in distress. We were, we were anxious. I, 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 I can't say to the point of death because that would be diminishing Jesus. But for me, it was certainly the deepest trouble I had ever been in. And what happens? What happens? That night, 300 people in the hospital. Christmas Eve. The next day, Christmas Day, 400 people in the hospital. The hospital management didn't know what to do to come and pray. A friend gets on an airplane in Cape Town, leaves his family. He preaches on a stage in the morning, does a Christmas service in Cape Town, gets onto an airplane on Christmas Day, leaves his family for a week to come and be with us in the home. The next day, Craig Clark jumps on an airplane from Johannesburg. It was the first plane that he could get. Leaves his family over the holiday season to be with us. 
Rory Dyer, another friend of this church, is on the, on the south coast having a family holiday for three days, the 26th, the 27th, the 28th. He drove up every morning, left every night in order to help me process, Jackson me process, one of the most brutal decisions any parent will ever have to make, whether to keep machines on or off. And then there were two friends who made it their goal never to leave my side. And for 17 days, they got to the hospital before I arrived at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they left the hospital after I left at 8 o'clock at night. Ryan Fetter and Mark Nyman. And they gave up everything, their businesses, their families, in order to come in a day of trouble to sit with me. And I know that Jackie has her own story of her own friends that did the same thing. In the day of trouble, friends, we need friends. And so the questions I have to ask us is this. Can you name the people who would leave their families on Christmas to come to your side in your day of trouble? Can you name the people who would spend 17 days in a row sitting at the hospital? Some of those days not saying a word, just being there. When I was ready to cry, they would cry with me. When I wanted to talk, they would talk with me. When I wanted to pray, they would pray with me. When I wanted silence, they would just sit there in silence. Do you have those people in your life? See, because I've experienced it, I can stand here and say it's not impossible because most people are thinking it's impossible. How can you just give up 17 days? I want to tell you that if you invest your life correctly with people, there are people that will do it. And this is the fullness of life, and this is what Jesus invites us into. His church is the most unique, unbelievable community that's ever existed on the face of the planet. Sitting amongst us right here are heroes in your day of trouble, but some of you don't even know them. I want to encourage you to get to know them. As a pastor, why do you arrive? This is my urge to you because, because this is what's happened. I've seen too many people's lives fall apart over the last couple of years, and they have no friends to fall upon. And, they, and, and then you're calling out to John and myself as pastors, and we cannot, I, I cannot sit for 17 days in a hospital with you and with 200 other people. I can do it for a group of people but not for everybody. So who are those people for you? Why, when the opportunity exists to come here at quarter to nine so that you can start to build those kinds of friendships that can be with you in the day of trouble, why do you come at nine o'clock? And why do you leave at quarter past 10 or half past 10 when you could stay until 11 or half past 11 and start to intentionally invest in those relationships? Because I can tell you now that the airplane that came in from on Christmas Day and on Boxing Day and the drive up from the South Coast and the 17 days, that doesn't get built in a phone call. That gets built in the years of investing in one another and intentionally building. And this is what Jesus calls, come to me and I will have a group of disciples that follow me and Matthew will become friends with Simon the Zealot and uh, Peter will become friends with, uh, you get the story. There are people here that are God's gift to you in your day of trouble. Can you answer that question? Who will be there in your day of trouble? Could you name them? Could you name them? And if you can't, may I encourage you today to start identifying people and start investing your life like Jesus did 
when he said, I have in deep sorrow and deep trouble, will you keep watch with me and come and pray with me? The second thing we see is this. Our Father in heaven, in the day of trouble, this is what happens. Jesus says, my Father, if it is possible. You see, we know that we have a loving Father who can. Matthew chapter 7, uh, 7 verse 11 says this. Uh, Even though you earthly fathers are evil and know how to give good gifts, how much more, my Father in heaven? How much more? And so Jesus knows in his time of trouble, he rallies his friends and he just calls two. We don't have to, uh, not everybody has to know our story. But there have to be some that know our story. And so with his friends, he goes and prays to a father who can. How much more? How much more our loving father can provide for you than your earthly father? How much more than your boss? How much more than your spouse? How much more than your children? How much more than your parents? How much more than your insurance? How much more? How much more? But this is what happened at the, at the, uh, when, when sin entered the world. We have Adam, and we have this moment where, um, let me get this word, the, these words right. Uh, Adam says, uh, when, when he's hiding from God, and, and God says, why are you hiding? He says, I'm afraid, and I hid. So that's what the sinful response is. That's what the, the, the fallen response is. What does Jesus do? He undoes that. And so Jesus says, I'm afraid, I'm anxious, my heart is troubled. What does he do? He doesn't hide, he goes to his Father. So Jesus undoes the sinful reaction in our lives. Jesus does the opposite. Adam, I hide because I am afraid. Jesus, I come to my Father with my friends because I am afraid. What is our response in times of trouble? Because sometimes we get into trouble and we know it's because of decisions that we've made. We've made unwise decisions previously. And so there's a bit of shame attached to, we think there's a bit of shame attached to how we've got ourselves into this situation. As Matthew just so beautifully taught us, come to me with with your burdens. And my yoke is, is a life jacket to us. And so in a time of trouble, friends, we have to go to a father. How much more? How much more? There is a better way. Jesus has a better way. I'm afraid I don't hide. I'm afraid I don't keep myself from community. I'm afraid I don't hold that piece of information back from my friends. No, I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm okay. No, I'm not okay. I am deeply anxious and I am troubled. And I am tired after two years and four months of what we've experienced. But I know that I have good friends. I know that my Father is so much more. How much more? I know. I know. And I keep drawing my strength from there in times of trouble. And so the question for this, for you, is what is your way when you are afraid, when you are ashamed, when you are in trouble, what do you do? Do you hide or do you come with some friends to the Father? Let's follow Jesus' way, not Adam's way. Thirdly, abandonment. May this cup be taken from me, Jesus says, yet not as I will, but you will. Abandonment of the need to control an outcome. In a time of trouble, friends, we have to abandon the need to control an outcome. It is exhausting. It is debilitating 
It leads us to death, if not physically, certainly spiritually. See, Jesus in this moment was tempted to become paralyzed with fear about the cross that was before him. And so he comes to Jesus, he comes to the Father with his friends, and he abandons the control of the outcome, not as I will, but you will be done. I am happy with what your will is. I'm happy with what your will is. Just a little light-hearted moment. I, our French friends are here for the very first time. And they could have gone anywhere in South Africa, and I said, you've got to come to Durban. It is beautiful. And so on Friday, they land. And I take them to the Amschlonga promenade, and I'm going to show them the beauty of our city. And the sea is brown. And the beaches are full of stuff. And we're walking, and I say, Matthew and Stephanie, it's not normally like this. I promise you, it is more beautiful than this. And Matthew, so beautifully, gently, and humbly like Jesus, just says, Richard, you are a terrible creator. And it was just so beautiful. I think I, two, two elements to that is like, if you consider yourself to, a, to be a creator, you're bad at it. But actually, you're not the creator. Abandon the outcome. We've come to South Africa to be with our friends, to be with the church, to experience what we experience. This ocean is not in your control. All I wanted it to be was perfect because I'm a control freak. No, I'm not. I've learned to abandon outcomes. But in times of trouble, we have to learn to abandon our need to control things. I'm going to mention a little thing which may seem strange to you. And how do we abandon outcomes? And it's this word called focus. I know this can seem a little uh, counterintuitive. How can focus be uh, a way that we can be, help each other in this environment of abandoning control? Well, I want to I say this. Jesus left one city to go to be another city, he, he understood that he could only be in one place at once. Today, we hate being in one place at once. We want to be in every place at once. And so, if I am not physically in Cape Town, I want to be online with my mate Mark van Pletsen to find out what he's doing. And I want to be on social media, and I want to have Netflix on, and I want to have, so I want to have Netflix on, I want to be seeing what's happening in Cape Town, and I want to be present with my children all at the same time. But to be able to focus on one thing means I have to abandon control of all the other things that are going on. It takes a skill. It takes, a, it takes something from the Spirit of God to be able to come into us to say that we can abandon control of everything else and be focused and present right here. And therefore, I will have the strength to deal with the trouble that I am facing because I'm not pulled. I'm not having to fix Ukraine and Russia. I can pray for them, but I don't have to fix them. And I don't have to know what's happening with the dollar rand. And I don't have to know what's happening in Johannesburg. And I don't have to know what's happening in Cape Town. And I don't have to know what's happening at another church just down the road, all at the same time. We've got to abandon to help us, to help us with that. We have approximately 4,000 weeks to live on this earth. And 2,000 of those 
You are either a child. You have about 2,000 highly productive weeks. Why do we think we are going to solve the world's problems in 2,000 weeks? Can we leave God to solve the world's problems? And can we partner with Him in what He calls us to for our 2,000 weeks? That we don't spend 1,000 of our 2,000 weeks stressing about outcomes that we cannot do anything about? See, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. We say those words. Do we mean them? In the day of trouble. And then finally, and then I'm done. Rest. When he came back and he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? I found this quite interesting choice of language by Jesus. Are you still sleeping and resting? Because he needed them to be rested in order to fight the fight at the time that he needed them. And so the way that the disciples had ordered their life had obviously resulted in them in the day of Jesus' trouble not being able to go through with what they needed to do. And so how do we rest in this time of trouble? How can we be there when we understand that we can't be there for everybody and neither are we expected to? And if we start to make slightly better decisions about how we just order the disciplines of our life, the food that we eat, the hours that we spend in our bed, the nature of what we watch and what we, the news feeds we read. You see, the, the news feeds is a big issue. Us as pastors, we started, we're seeing it in people's lives. We are not God and we cannot handle all the bad news that we get. We're not designed to handle that. God's designed to handle that. We're designed to live in our local community, giving expression to the love of God and then being able to serve a bunch of people in the proximity in which we have contact. You see, Jesus withdrew from crowds to sit alone. He climbed a mountain with friends. When last did you climb a mountain? So I was preparing this, and so I've actually changed some of our time, and we're going to go and climb a mountain tomorrow or the next day. Because it's good. He rested quietly in his homes. He attended a party with friends. When last did you have a party with friends? When people wanted to perform healings, wanted him to perform healings and, he, uh, and feed them again or to teach, he disappeared. Because he understood that in a day of trouble, he could only stand with people, or in a day of great need, he could only stand with people if he found himself to be in good soul, in good spirit, in good health. I love Elijah's story in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's, uh, there's a moment where Elijah is exhausted and he's underneath a juniper tree. And he says to God, I'm, I'm done. Can I just die? And an angel comes to him and says, hey, here's some food, eat. Because you've still got some work to do. And he eats. But he's not yet strong enough. And he falls asleep again. And so the angel comes back to him and says, no, no, it's okay. Eat again and rest again. And then we will go. I think this, we have to get over this thing of, I've got to eat and rest and then go again, and eat and rest and go again, and eat and rest and go again. Sometimes we just don't have the strength, and it's okay. It was okay for Elijah. God seemed to find it okay. No, no, have another day to eat and rest, and then you can go again. The pace 
at which we think we need to handle other people's troubles or our own troubles is unsustainable. And we're seeing families crack, and we're seeing businesses crack. We're seeing people make irrational decisions. It's all, it's maybe your part, you're feeling that. There are things that we can learn from Jesus in this. In Luke's account, uh, chapter 22, verses 44 to 40 and 45 of the same uh, of the same thing. It says, Jesus was in deep anguish, but he was able to pray through. The the, it says in Luke chapter 22, the disciples were in deep sorrow, but they were exhausted and could not pray. See, some of us are sitting here and we're exhausted and we cannot pray. It's okay. It's okay. But some of us are not exhausted and we can pray. And if we had friendship, and together we went before the Father, we could help each other. And I could help you put some steps into place that you can start to get the rest so that you can become a person who's no longer exhausted and sleeping. But you can become a person that somebody else can call upon in a day of trouble. See, there is a way through the storm, and Jesus modeled the way through the storm. But too many of us dare I say, only like the passage of Scripture where Jesus speaks the storm and it stops, as opposed to Jesus going through the storm and how we can partner with Him in that. And so, friends, we know we're in a storm. I am getting tired of speaking on these subjects, but it is the reality of where we are, and we have to help one another, and we have to allow the Scriptures, and we have to allow our friendship, and we have to allow our prayer, and we have to allow our Father how much more we have to allow. And so I want to call you into that community because that's who we are. That's who we are as a community. And so there are friends, people. Can you name the people who would be there for you? And on the flip side, can you name the people who you would be there for? There is a Father in heaven. When we are afraid and ashamed and in trouble, we can act like Jesus and go to Him as opposed to like Adam who hid from Him. There is abandonment of all outcomes. And there is rest. And the question is, what are we doing that is unnecessarily taking its toll on us that may prevent us from being strong when we most need to be? Like the disciples were exhausted when Jesus needed them. There is a better way. And Jesus shows us that way. And we can follow him. So I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to call Matthew up to end our service. But let's pray. Let's pray. While we are here, if you are troubled and anxious and exhausted, I believe in the presence of God, there is rest. There is restoration for our soul. There is restoration for our spirit. There is restoration for our minds, restoration for our emotions. And just while heads are bowed, maybe you can just raise your hand. Just let me know who I'm praying for. You are troubled and you are anxious and you are these things that I've been speaking about. There we go. Thank you. Hands going up all over. Spirit of God. Spirit of God, we thank you that you take from the Father and you give that to us. And so, Spirit of God, would you come to minister to us? Would you come to help us in our times of trouble? Would you reveal our loving Father in heaven who is able and can do it? How much more? 
how much more? Would you bring our friends around us? And if we don't have any, would you show us who we can build friendships with, Spirit of God? That we can support one another, hold one another, encourage one another. Would we trust in you? Would you help us, Spirit of God, in our anxiety, like Jesus, to say, not our will, but yours be done. Abandon control of the outcome. Would you do that for us, Lord? Because you are gentle and humble. And your yoke is easy and light. We can come with our burdens, as we heard earlier. My prayer for the rest of us is that we would give serious consideration to who we can be friends with, of, that we can look beyond our own lives and we can give consideration to being the one that jumps on an airplane, being the one that sits in a hospital, being the one that prays for an hour, whatever it may be, that we would give consideration to who those people are that we can be the support to. Would you help us, God? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give our worlds, would our worlds become bigger than our own personal stories and our own personal troubles? We thank you that you lead us in the way that is everlasting, sustainable, beautiful, wonderful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.